Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Put your hands together for all that God is doing in this place. So this is a promo for a series that starts today about the Bible. It's very, 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 very good. A lot of people are preparing to watch it, and so people are having viewing parties all around Atlanta. And so uh, my wife and I will probably host one. If you all want to come join us, just bring something, and we can all have a little potluck and watch this Bible series on the History Channel. Um... You know, it's going to be really, really good. I saw, I was blessed to see many of the previews for this particular series while I was at Catalyst, uh, which is a conference, and it was really exciting. I was pretty pumped up. There's some good good stuff in there, especially I love the scene. Many of us have heard the story about David defeating Goliath. They get, you get to actually see this little dude tear down this huge giant. It's, it's pretty cool. It's exciting. There's a little bit of romance, a little bit of action, something for everybody. But that's what the Bible is, right? Something for everybody. So I urge you and encourage you all to uh, watch this each week. Uh, We'll show a a different clip from uh, this series just to kind of remind you that this is going on. It starts tonight. I think it comes on around 7 or 8 o'clock or so on the History Channel. So check it out. Well, today we begin a new series. We just wrapped up our series on what it means to be a Christian. And to be a Christian, it means that you are flawed, right? If you are a Christian, matter of fact, the word flaw and Christian should be the same. Because the world has so often looked at us as, well, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, so that means you cannot possibly make a mistake. Oh, my goodness, you gave somebody the finger. I knew you weren't a Christian. Oh, my goodness, you caught an attitude with somebody. I knew you were a Christian. But actually, it's contrary to that. Because I, I have uh, emotions, because I respond with my emotions, I think that makes me more Christian. And as we read the Bible, we understand from, from, the, from, the, from the intro all the way to the maps at the back of the Bible, God used flawed, jacked up, messed up people to do some amazingly radical things that shifted the history as we know it. And so today we start uh, a new series where we talk about the blueprint. And I figured... A good place to talk about a blueprint would be the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. What I love about it, let me give you some historical background before we get into some prayer and then get heavy into this message. Some background about Ephesus. Ephesus was a very, very rich city. It was, in a, it, was a, it was like one of the largest cities, not the largest, but one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, okay? They had a really great shipping port, so it was good for trading and, and exporting and all of this stuff. I mean, it was sort of like 
the uh, New York City or New Orleans of the times. It was just a great, like New Orleans was a great place where they were shipping, a lot of shipping. So there was a lot of music. There was a lot of history. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot going on in Ephesus. Ephesus is the place you want to be if you want to know what's going down. It was the spot to be. It was situated right where the water was, so, 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 so it was easy for the ships to come in and go out. Well, as we know with many big cities, there's a lot of different personality, personalities, a lot of different cultures, a lot of beliefs. And what was going on in the city of Ephesus, they had built this tire, this tower this, uh, uh, for, 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 for this temple for Diana who was one of the goddesses that they prayed to. So there was a lot of witchcraft. And then there was also uh, uh, another temple built for Artemis, which was another goddess that they prayed to, okay? So they were, there was a lot of witchcraft, a lot of black magic. And when you got all of this different belief system, y'all know that they were like rabbits. You know, there's a lot of sexual immorality going on. I mean, it almost came, ties in together. It was something about the sexual immorality that tied into the belief of your God or goddess or whoever you believe. There was a whole lot of stuff. It was considered, Ephesus was considered to be the, the political, educational, and financial epicenter of the entire Roman Empire. So there's a lot going on. And we're first introduced to, 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 to Paul's ministry in, in Ephesus in the book of Acts. Round about Acts 16, he, he, he wanted to go into the Asian territory of the Roman Empire. He wanted to begin ministering over there, but, but, but the Spirit of God wouldn't let him. So he tried on a second attempt, and once again he was detoured and not allowed to go into the city, uh, into that area uh, where, where Ephesus was. So then we read a little bit further, and we get to around Acts chapter 18 and 19, and, and then we, 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 we see that there are actually some believers already in Ephesus that are trying to start this church. But here's where they messed up. They stopped at John the Baptist. In other words, they believed everything that was right about John the Baptist's ministry. They didn't go beyond that. They, it was like that was it. This is what we're following. And, 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 and Paul comes and says, but there's this spirit. There's this great mystery. And, and why did y'all stop there? They're like, well, this is it. We haven't experienced this Holy Spirit or this great mystery you're talking about. We've done the baptisms. And Paul is like, yeah, but you didn't get the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And says, no, because we've been following the ministry of John. And Paul says, wait a minute, y'all missed something. Let me tell you about Jesus, because even John, if you so-called follow him, tells you that there is someone greater than me coming. So I'm just setting the ground here. So, so what Paul did was spend about three years in this city with all of this stuff going on, with all the sexual immorality and the witchcraft and the, and the, and the political jacked upness. Let me tell you how messed up it was, right? They, they, they got deep. There was a business. It was big businesses. It was a big business if you were building the, the, the little statuettes of the goddesses that you were representing or praying to, right? And so one of the guys says to his crew, he has a big factory where they're, I mean, they're making some cheese, baby. You understand what I'm saying? They're making money off of these little statuettes that people are praying to. And so he says, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We need to do something about this Paul dude because he's messing with our money. Because if people start believing the stuff that he's saying, they're going to stop praying to Artemis, who we make the statues for, and we believe in Artemis. So he tripped them up. It's like, we believe in Artemis, right? So we need to stop Paul. 
because he's not only messing with our goddess, Artemis, but he's also stealing and messing with our money because as people believe the stuff he's saying, they're going to stop purchasing these little statuettes to pray to, and we're going to be out of money. And he is going to be in power. So things begin to change. So that's the history of, of, of where Paul gets into this letter of Ephesians. Before I go any further, let me pray because we're going we're to we're run through this. This is going to be an introduction today, but we're going to spend some serious time over the next few weeks going through the book of Ephesians. Let us pray. Eternal and gracious God in heaven, right now in this moment, I make room, all room for you, God. Just completely move me out the way. God, I pray that I represent your word with great authenticity. I pray, oh God, that I, I don't shame you in what I present today. God, I thank you for this great and humbling opportunity to be your earthly ambassador. I take this, this title with great, great pride, and it is privilege, Father God. So I pray that I don't take it in void, Father God. I pray that the words that flow from my mouth flow not just to the ears of the people listening, but to the hearts and the souls of those in attendance. I pray, O oh God, after today we get a, at least a better glimpse of what the book of Ephesians is all about. And we use this entire book truly to be our roadmap, our blueprint for how we should live our lives as Christians. Oh God, I love you, I honor you, and praise you. And we offer this service to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you all are taking notes. I only have a few notes that I'll be giving you all today. And like I said, we're going to kind of run through this a little bit. A little bit more about Ephesians. Um, many of the books, if you're familiar with the letters that Paul wrote, many of those letters he wrote, he wrote to, to, to deal or, or to tackle a particular issue. He wrote because something was going on. There was mamas sleep, well, sons sleeping with stepmamas, and there was all type of stuff that was going on. There was battling back and bickering back and forth within the churches. And so normally when Paul wrote a letter like he did in 1 Corinthians, or with like the letter he wrote to the Galatians, he was trying to resolve an issue. But what makes this jewel of a, of, of a body of writing, this, this wonderful, perfectly complex letter, it's considered to be one of the most beautiful pieces written in the New Testament. What makes this so beautiful and poetic is that Paul is just writing this. There's nothing crazy going on. We know that there's some stuff that happened before, but this letter he's writing while he's in prison, he wrote this to them. And it's sort of like a newsletter, so to speak, just saying, hey, just checking in. This is what's going on. Keep your faith. I know it's crazy. I know they're still doing these crazy offerings. I know they're still praying to Artemis and, and Diana, but y'all got it going on, baby. Keep doing what you're doing. It wasn't to deal with a particular issue. So that was, that's what makes this particular letter so unique. Also, in this book, in, in, in the book of Ephesians, it's the first time, now listen to my words because some of y'all Bible people going like, no, no. This is the first time where, where Paul addresses the church as the body. It's the first time where the church is addressed as the body. I understand in 1 Corinthians we talk about the people, the believers being a body, but this is the very first time that the church is actually addressed, the church as the body. 
And it's so poetic and unique because if we think of the body of Christ, we think of its brokenness. And I often say us here at Mosaic, that's what Mosaic Church is all about. A bunch of broken, flawed, jacked up people that have a heart to love God. We may do it in our own way. We may not do it the way according to the the way society tells us to do, but we're going to give it our best. A bunch of broken people that love God. And God's body was broken. Jesus' body was broken, so it's a perfect uh, 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 example, if you will, when he says the church is the body because it brings it home that we are all broken, we're all jacked up, but we are the body of Christ in that representation. I love when he says that. This letter from Paul, if you're taking uh, taking notes, we're going to jump right into this. I want to go to the first book book in Ephesians, and this is going to kind of set up the entire series here. I love what he says here. Ephesians 1, 1 through 2 says this, this letter is from Paul, duh, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's an important piece. I'll I'll explain it in a minute. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and mercy. Let me go back to that that first point. This letter is from Paul. I like how they say that. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Chosen by who? The will of God. Jesus didn't pick him. Matter of fact, uh, if we understand the story of Saul, he was persecuting people and loved it. That was like his gig. I'm sure when they asked, we need somebody to go and persecute, he was like, please pick me, pick me. Let me kill them all. Let me, I'm the one. I'll be your huckleberry. Let me be the one to do it. I would love that job and loved it. He was proud of it. I mean, he was cut from great pedigree. He comes from the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe that the great King Saul comes from. I mean, he was cut from real good pedigree. He was a Pharisee. He had money. I mean, he was the man. How dare these people come talking about this Jesus that's going to change this world and do something different. Let me kill them all because at the end of the day, they're messing with my money. They're messing with my pedigree. They're they're messing with my status. So I need to kill them because they're going to mess up what, what, what I'm supposed to be doing. It will no longer matter that I come from the tribe of Benjamin, that I come from the same bloodline as the great King Saul. It will no longer matter if these people keep talking about this Jesus. So he's on the road to Damascus, getting ready to go persecute some people. Oh, yeah, baby. And all of a sudden, he's blinded by this bright light, blinded by this bright light. And and he's like, what's going on? I can't see. And Jesus is talking to him. He's like, who are you, Lord? Y'all know about that Damascus Road experience? I say all this to say, and I'm not going to get deep into that. Read the Bible and you'll see that story. Paul tells it at least twice in the New Testament, that story about what happened. I say all that to say, Paul did not choose to be the apostle. He was chosen. Anybody who's an apostle is chosen by God. I know there are some apostles out here that use that title loosely, but if your name ain't Paul, I question it. I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying. Here's your first note. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. Not, he didn't make the decision on his own. Jesus didn't even do it. The will of God chosen to be apostle of Christ Jesus. And he says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. Let's talk about this word, holy people. Your first note is, holy people describes our standing before God. Holy people. It's how God sees us. Holy people describes our standing before God. A single a word, a better word, a single word that, that, that better describes holy people, and some translations use it this way, is the word saint, which means a most holy thing. Okay? So a single word that, that can describe holy people would be a saint. And if you read the New King James Version or King James Version, he actually says that. Paul says, I'm addressing the saints and the faithful, okay? Let's talk about this word saint for a minute, which means a most holy thing, most holy, not just holy, most holy, set apart, consecrated, sanctified, set apart for God's exclusive use. Saint, it speaks of how God sees us. Every child of God is a saint. Every person who is saved by the grace of God and washed in the blood of Jesus is a most holy thing, set apart for the glory of God and for his exclusive use in the world, for his exclusive use in the world. Regardless of your flaws, regardless of your shortcomings, regardless of how imperfect you are, you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you are indeed a saint. Right there, you've accepted and embraced salvation. Does that mean that all of a sudden you're going to live a perfect life? No, absolutely freaking not. Absolutely freaking not. You are not. You're going to mess up. You're going to jack up. You're going to make some poor decisions. You're going to roll your eyes at somebody. You're going to ignore somebody. But you're going to be working at being and living up to the title that you've been given when you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart. You're going to try your best to live up to that title of being a saint, a most holy thing. That is our goal. That is our job. You're going to mess up. You're going to trip up. That's life. God knows that. He knew that when, he, when, when Jesus picked the disciples. He knew who he was dealing with. He had a, 12 of It was actually 13. One messed up. That's how messed up he was. He set him up, and Jesus called him out like, yo, you going to set me up. Tell you what, let's go ahead and get this out the way, all right? Right before they have the last, you know what, you're going to set me up. Go ahead. Let's get this out the way. While you're doing that, let me talk to these, this, this crew here. 13 people he picked. Well, he picked 12. The disciples picked the other. Right? So there were 13. Paul being a 14th, being an apostle, he picked them. Knew they were going to be messed up. Didn't do it right. Kept repeating itself. Can you imagine how God, Jesus felt? Like, Dad, how many times I have to tell y'all? Y'all just don't listen. I just told you what to do, and you do just the opposite. I just told you that you can do everything that I do. Walk on the water, Peter. Oh, yeah, I'm walking. Looks back, and he sinks. I just told you you can do it. Don't listen to them. Am I your daddy or they your daddy? If they jump off the boat, you're going to jump off the boat with them? Listen, I'm trying to tell you something. How many times did he have to repeat himself? He was like probably frustrated beyond belief. He knew what he was dealing with. Same thing now. He knows what he's dealing with with each and every individual here. Yes, you're flawed, but you are still a saint, a most holy thing set apart 
for God. Isn't that some great news? I can stop right there. We can do a benediction, take some communion, and call it a day. That's enough to live off of for the rest of my life. I'm a saint even if I mess up. I'm a saint even if I cuss every now and again. I'm a saint even if I, I, I got an attitude today. I'm a saint even though I forgot to serve somebody. I'm a saint even though I forgot to tithe. I'm a saint still. Yes. I haven't been to church in 10 years. I'm still a saint. Did you ever confess? Yes. Were you ever baptized? Yes. Saint you are. And when the saints come marching in, my New Orleans folks in the building, huh? Yes, you are a saint. According to Scripture, if I believe this to be true, you are a saint. The next line, the next note, he says, you are holy people. Then he says, who are faithful. He gives two different designations for these people. He sets up dual designations for these people. You are holy people and you are faithful. Faithful describes our actions in the world, how we live our lives according to his word. Faithful describes our activities in the world because we have been saved, sanctified by God, and we are now new creatures in Jesus according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. As a result of being a new creature, we live in a distant, a distinct, different life than the world around us. In other words, those who know the Lord are his holy saints who live faithful lives in a world that does not know the Lord. I am, we live a faithful life. We do our best to be our best for God. We do our best to be our best example of a Christian. Flaws and all. Flaws and all. This is the transition from our last series we talked about, yes, we're Christians, yes, we're flawed, but how do we live that life? We're going to spend this time in this series trying to show you, even in your flaws, you can still live a righteous life that honors God because you are faithful. Your actions say that you are faithful. No, I didn't pay my tithe this week, but you've been paying like the last six months. No, I didn't serve the homeless this week. Yeah, but over the year, you've served them about 20 times. Yeah, I didn't do whatever, but I guarantee you have hit the mark. At some point in your life, you've hit the mark, and God gave you an attaboy. Way to go. Give me some dap, holy dap. You've hit the mark, and God is saying, please, I know you're going to mess up. I give you a little bit of grace. That's what grace is for, because you're going to mess up, but you're still a saint. You're still qualified. Ephesians falls neatly into two parts. Some more notes. Chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4 through 6. 1 through 3 deal with uh, or emphasize New Testament doctrine and tells us what we have in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 tells us what we have in Christ. So Paul is such a beautiful writer. I mean, if you ever just read specifically this one, he's just so beautiful and smooth the way he does it. He'll pump you up first. You know, he gets in there, he says, you know, he tells you all the great things you are in Christ, all the things that you have. You know, you are, you are set apart. You are a holy people. You're this, you're that. And, and there's a great mystery, and you're a part of the mystery. I mean, he drops it, and you're feeling like, yeah. And then he says, now here's some instruction to continue. 
He sets you up perfectly. If you read any of the letters that Paul wrote to any of the churches, he always starts by giving them praise, and then he gets to the, okay, now this is what y'all are doing wrong. Y'all need to cut that out. But he starts off like, I'm so proud of y'all. I love y'all. He points out all the good they do first, and then he gets in. Now, this is what y'all need to correct. And he does it in a loving way. He's so beautiful in his writing. I love the way Paul writes. So chapters 1 through 3 emphasizes New Testament doctrine and tells us what we have in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 are practical, and they tell us what to do with what we have. Gives us the instruction. That's, that's where the blueprint happens. And so chapters 4 and 6, you don't want to miss. When we get to that area, you don't want to miss. Because that's going to be your roadmap. That's going to be the thing you follow to live a life that honors God, even with your flaws and all. Amen? All right, good. Ephesians is a book about riches and and fullness. But it is also a book about divine mystery. There's a divine mystery that Paul constantly talks about, that Paul constantly points out uh, in, in the book of Ephesians. There's this divine mystery. And let me tell you, when the Bible refers to a mystery, it is speaking of a truth that is previously hidden but is suddenly revealed. So when it says there's this great mystery, it's a truth, a biblical truth that was previously hidden but is suddenly revealed. It's there, it's always been there, but it was hidden, and it's suddenly revealed. Let me tell you what that is. The church in Ephesus, remember what I told you? For the first time ever is identified as the body of Christ. If we read 1 Corinthians, they say that we are a body. Believers, we are a body of believers, and there's each part does its thing. The head does this, the arms does this. God made apostles, priests, uh, uh, all of the above, right? But this is the very first time where he says the church is the body. Believers are literally the body of Christ according to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Watch this. He dwells in us through his spirit. He energizes us with his life. As we yield to him and allow him to live through us, Jesus Christ is actively seen moving and working in the world today. Let me say that again. As we yield to him, God, and allow God to live through us, Jesus Christ is actively seen moving and working in the world today. As we allow the Spirit of God to dwell in us, and we respond to that Spirit within us by doing the work of God, by doing the stuff He's called us to do, by doing the stuff that we know He has done, by doing everything He said that we could do, that we could do greater things, it becomes evident to the world that is watching us who wear the big fish on our T-shirts, who wear the big cross on our back, who wear the badge of honor saying, I am a Christian. If your works don't match what your words say, you are a hypocrite. And the only way that they can see this spirit that lives in us is an outward expression of it. It's by the work that we do. It's what we do. And Paul is setting this up in the book of Ephesians. He's giving this to us, saying this is how you should do it. 
We should be unified. The other thing I love about Ephesians is he talks for the first time, his whole, the whole theme of the book of Ephesians is all about a unified church. So when you, when you hear that unified church, the first thought is, were they divided or something? I thought they didn't have any problems. I thought you said that they were all cool, and they were. The church in Ephesus was doing great things. But what he's doing is emphasizing the fact that we have to accept Gentiles as well as Jews. Now, that doesn't apply to us right now, right? You know, anybody in here know some Gentiles? It's not a word we use. We don't use that. People who don't go to church, would they be Gentiles? I don't know. No. So let's make it modern. The church has been designed this way for so long. This is why it took me so long to even become a member of a church. It was us, the church, and them, the people who don't go to church. If you weren't in church, the automatic assumption was sinner, heathen. You can't possibly love Christ. You ain't in church. And when you did come into church, they looked at you because they know you had some sin in your life. Because they've heard the rumors going on in the community about the stuff you've been doing. Rumors. We all know that rumors have a lot more false than truth involved, right? And the church has been designed for so long such that there was the church and them. And them would be anybody who was not a part of the church. And the thing is, it was every church, any church, us and them. I read Andy Stanley's book, uh, Deep, Deeper and Wider, or is it Deep and Wide? Deep and Wide. Really, really good book. If you, if you have time and you like to read, it's a really great read. But he talks about, and if you don't know Andy Stanley, he's a pastor of one of the largest churches here in Georgia, uh, North Point Ministries and, or Buckhead Church. And so Andy Stanley talks about how he came out of his father's church. If you know Charles Stanley, that's his daddy, you know, mega church Baptist pastor here, did some amazing things. And he talks about they were located in Midtown. Their original location for the first Baptist church was in Midtown. And, and, and they had this particular service, and, and on this particular day, the gay pride parade was going to march right. By the time they got out of church, it was set up that way. When dismissal came for church, the pride parade would come right through. And so they, now you had their church, and across the street there was a Presbyterian church. So their whole thing, the Baptist church was like, let's, they're going to change their times and kind of get out a little early. They're trying to avoid the homosexuals because it was them versus them. It was them, the homosexuals versus the church. So they had this plan. We're going to leave a little bit early. We're going to try to avoid them at all costs. Maybe go out the back door, whatever we have to do. We're going to avoid them. Where the Presbyterian church across the street was like, hey, y'all want some water? We're going to set up shop. We're going to welcome them. We're going to embrace them. Why? Because Jesus would have done it. Huh? We're going to give them water and everything. Andy, Andy Stanley talks about this, embracing them, because in the eyes of the church, the homosexual parade was them. They were the Gentiles of the day, of the modern day. Those were the Gentiles. Whereas if we understand and believe what the book is, what the, what the Word says about the church in Ephesians, that, uh, you know, it's a unified church, then we should embrace them. If they are indeed the Gentiles of the modern day, then we should embrace them because it's a unified church. Embrace them and there are all of their flaws. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say anything different. It doesn't categorize sin. A sin is a sin. Whatever it is. If you lie, that's a sin. Right? If, if, if you're jealous, that's a sin. 
Heck, if you eat too much, that's a sin. We don't talk about that. God forbid you step out on your wife. Oh, my goodness. You're going to hell, hell, hell. And you're not. What makes my sin different than yours? Huh? Oh, he stole something. He, 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 da, 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 da. What makes my sin different than yours? It categorically is no difference. A sin is a sin. And if we read them, they're all lined up in the same way. They're all lined up and bunched up together. All of them. And here it is, this church, downtown, midtown, during Gay Pride Parade. Let's try to avoid them. Y'all hide. Put your hoods on or something. And the Presbyterian church is like, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, whatever you are. In the middle, have some water. No, I'm serious, like transgender. They got both body parts. You know what I'm saying? Here, have some water. God bless you. God, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Have some water. But I got water where you'll never thirst again. Oh, my God, didn't Jesus say that to that woman at the well? Huh? That he's like, he called her. He's like, you have, no, the husband you with now ain't even your husband. He ain't even your man. <laughs> you got several husbands. But tell you what, have some water. Take this water and you'll never thirst again. Here's what Paul is trying to accomplish when he wrote this letter. Sort of like a newsletter. And we're going to wrap it up here and get ready for some, some uh, communion. Paul's purpose in writing this letter to the church in Ephesus is to promote a unified growing, healthy church that fulfills God's purpose of being the vehicle for reconciliation in the world. God's whole purpose is to reconcile us back to him. And the best way to do it, the best vehicle, the best way to do it, he thinks, is the church. But if we're judging and, 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 and pointing fingers at people for their sins, if we're judging people because of their lifestyle, if we're, if we're judging people because of, of, of where they've come from, then we can never be unified. We can never be unified. And I hate it when churches, watch this, when churches say, my church is doing this, my church, my church, or uh, there's a church that just moved in down the street. Now I, I sent them a letter saying, welcome, we're so glad you're here. I spoke with a friend of mine, he's like, man, they're going to steal your members. I was like, they're not my members. Those are God's members. We're all one body. Mosaic is probably like a finger, maybe the pinky. I don't know. Okay? And then that new church, there'll be another functioning part of the entire body. I don't have any members. What are you talking about? I'm a member of God's church. Hallelujah. We need more leaders to be raised up in the city of Mableton. You mean to tell me a population of less than 50,000 and more than 50% of people love Jesus but are not a part of a loving church community? We need more leaders. We need more church planners. We need more, more churches to pop up. I want one to pop up like we're here and then they can be like down the hall. Right? We don't need mega churches. We need mega leaders. If we have mega leaders, we don't need mega edifices of buildings and programming and, and rooms and all of this stuff if we have mega leaders. All right, that's another topic. The key verse here is Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and this kind of sets the whole framework of what we'll be talking about. Ready? Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says this. For there is what? One body. And what? 
one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all, not some, not a few, not a chosen group, over all and in all and living through all, all three times. Three times he says all, all. All means everybody. All means everybody's included. There is no one excluded. Everyone, all, regardless of your background. Our mission here at at, at Mosaic Church is to love people, is to reach people, reach, teach, serve, and love people where they are, how they are, regardless of who they are, with what the life giving message of Christ. I don't care about your story. Let me tell you my story, and then I want you to meet about 35 to 40 other people that have a story. You in good company, baby, when you come here. We all have a story. Praise God for your story. You got some more stories to come. As long as you're here on earth, you got a whole bunch more stories to tell. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Eternal and gracious God in heaven, we are so grateful for this opportunity, this time in our lives where we can come and be a part of your vision, be a part of your mission. God, we are grateful for our flaws because we understand that even with our flaws, we can be a unified body that represents you. We are one body. And God, we want to be the feet, your hands and feet here on earth. We want to go and reach those people who've given up on on church because of something man or woman or a pastor has done. God, we want to really, really be the church in Ephesus, welcoming all, loving and embracing all, because we know that's what your son did. So God, I pray today as we leave this place and prepare to to move into the next phase of this, this worship experience. I pray that you bless every single person under the sound of my voice. Cleanse their hearts. We understand that we are saints, a holy people, set aside, set apart for you. Let us hold that title with great pride and integrity. God, we love you, we honor you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us at our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.